0: Hello and welcome aboard another episode of the Gallant Says Podcast. I'm Paul Gallant. This podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud. You can even watch it all on YouTube. If you haven't already, click the subscribe button, click the like button, leave a rating, a review, five star, if you will. You can even leave a roast if you so choose all the interaction. I love it all. We're the most interactive podcast on the internet. We're trying to get there at the very least. Some of y'all suck at that, but that's neither here nor there. On today's episode, Mike Meltzer, my old co-host from Sports Radio 610, my good friend. We're going to talk about the Houston Texans hiring Lovie Smith. There's some been There's been some comments made about Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson that have a lot of you guys feeling a little bit too sensitive, and you guys knew this was a witch hunt. Now we're finally getting proof it was a witch hunt. But before we get to all of that, I want to talk about the Super Bowl that's coming up this week.
1: Let's go. A radio show host in Seattle called Paul Gallant. I was just kind of
0: curious what Paul Paul, gets to see. You are definitely living in the hindsight world today, Paul. You're a f***ing grow, mother Are you kidding me? Paul Gallant, what the hell is wrong with you? Today's episode might sound a little bit negative because I'm just so with the Texans hiring Lovie Smith. So I'll start off by talking about who I'm rooting for in Super Bowl 56. This should not come as a surprise to anybody. I don't really like the Los Angeles Rams. In fact, I hate them. They annoy me for a variety of different reasons, but I'm not going to start off talking about why I'm rooting against the Rams. I'm going to tell you why I'm rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals. It's for two reasons in particular. The first one is because I like Joe Burrow a lot. In fact, I think I'm falling in love With Joe Burrow, and not just because of the cool factor that he brings to the table, the swag that he has off the field. It's because he reminds me of Tom Brady. I shouldn't say that. They're totally different in terms of their backgrounds. Joe Burrow won a Heisman Trophy. He won a national championship. He was the first overall pick. Tom Brady was splitting time at Michigan with Drew Henson. He was picked number 199. He was Drew Bledsoe's back of his first season. His second year, he only came in because Bledsoe got hurt. Also, Tom Brady has won seven Super Bowls. He has been to 10 of them. Insert every single playoff record imaginable. It's there. Insert every quarterback statistic. It's there. But there is something about Joe Burrow That draws a lot of comparisons to Tom Brady. He seems to be able to really relate with his teammates in a way that I don't think many quarterbacks can do. I would even point to one Russell Wilson. who We'll talk about a little bit later. There is something about him. And I don't know if it's just because he's a normal human being or something like that. But there is just something about him where... You get the idea that everybody that plays with him wants to run through a wall for him. And you know what? After that game against the Tennessee Titans, where he got sacked officially nine times, but technically 11 times with two that got called back, that guy's tough as shit. He gets up after every single hit. He doesn't complain. He doesn't bitch. He doesn't moan. He doesn't throw his offensive line under the bus like Russell Wilson has, like Peyton Manning has, like... Uh, Patrick Mahomes even did once. A lot of quarterbacks do it. And you know what? Sometimes I get it when they're getting battered back there. And look, Joe Burrow is also only in his second season in the league. But Burrow is the kind of guy that he's just going to continue to get up and get up and get up. And that's where the comparisons that I see that are actually accurate comparisons between Joe Burrow and Tom Brady can be made. They just keep getting up and keep Doing what they were doing before. Even after they screw up. Burrow, not a perfect player. Makes the occasional mistake. Holds the football too long from time to time. Throws interceptions from time to time too. But he just gets up. Shakes it off. And keeps coming at you. Like a Terminator. I'm not talking Robert Patrick's Terminator and Terminator 2. I mean, that would be the equivalent of Patrick Mahomes. Just an absolute elite talent. Burrow's not that deceptively fast, like all whites, (laughs) but (laughs) doesn't have the strongest arm. He just keeps on getting up and he keeps on coming after you. So that's the first reason I'm rooting for the Cincinnati Bengals. The second reason when a team is saddled with a bad owner, it just sucks. Like you can't do anything about it except for hope that the guy dies, which is kind of fucked up. Mike Brown is the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And he is a guy who, I would imagine, just looking at his face as he accepted the Lamar Hunt trophy as champions of the AFC, that wasn't thinking about his Bengals making it to a Super Bowl. I bet he was thinking about the cost of a flight to Los Angeles from Cincinnati to ship his entire team there. The cost of hotels in Cincinnati, the week of a Super Bowl, all the costs that the Bengals would have to pay up during what I imagine will be a rather expensive week for them. That's, I think, the first thing that's coming to his mind. He is cheap, which just blows to have if you're a fan. You can't do anything about it. So when you do get these occasional moments where despite bad ownership that gives your organization a black eye across the league that prevents free agents from potentially thinking, you know what, I want to go play in Cincinnati. When you finally do get to a big game like this, I just feel happy for fans who have been fucked over for a while. Cincinnati Bengals fans, if you have been sticking with this team for the majority of its history, there have been very few happy moments. I would say like the entire 1990s, bad. Bad. Yeah, you got Corey Dillon for a little bit. He wanted out. Barry Sanders style. He goes to the New England Patriots. He wins the Super Bowl his first year there. Carson Palmer. He looks great. Tears his ACL in a playoff game against the Steelers. Chad Cinco was fun. Andy Dalton comes in. I mean, they're relevant, but you knew that they had a limit and that the best players that they could get were traditionally players getting second or third chances after run ins with the law off the field. Like that's the best kind of player you're going to get. Oh, Joe Mixon slugged somebody. Well, maybe he'll fall in the draft to us even though he's probably the best running back in said draft. Like that's what the Bengals always were. It was, "Hey, like what scraps are going to fall from the table to us because we can't afford the nice food." And they're getting a moment like this. And those fans deserve that. So I'm rooting for the Bengals in this Super Bowl, and I am very curious to see how it goes, but I can't pick against Cincy. I think there's a toughness factor that comes with Joe Burrow that is going to see them holding up the Lombardi
2: Trophy at the very end. Here's to God and football and good friends living large in Texas. I don't have friends. I got family. Texas forever. I'm not mad. I'm not
0: shocked i'm not really feeling much of anything about the texans hiring lovey smith as their next head coach but it does just make you think about their decision making process and if they even have one so a year ago It felt like the Texans were doing a test run with Josh McCown as the next potential head coach. Like Jack Easterby, before he brought Nick Casario in, really liked him, thought, okay, this is someone promising that maybe we can bring on the staff in the near future. So McCown was always a possibility, but he's not the head coach of the Houston Texans, and it seemed like that's the guy that they actually wanted. So it makes you wonder... If Josh McCown's the guy that they seemingly wanted to hire, why weren't they able to close the deal? And what happened between Friday and Monday? Other than the Brian Flores lawsuit, which incriminates the Miami Dolphins, the New York Giants, the Denver Broncos, and the NFL in discrimination practices against. Brian Flores, but also just the entire league as a whole against minority head coaches. This lawsuit highlights the Texans' treatment of David Cully, who was fired after a year. Got a very nice retirement severance package, but definitely was hired to do a job that there was no way he was going to succeed given the talent he had on the roster. I don't think he's ever going to be a good head coach. I didn't know who he was before he was hired. I don't mind that they moved on from him like so many do, like so many are outraged about. And that's not me. But perhaps that little detail from Brian Flores made the Texans panic. Wow, we can't hire Josh McCown because he's unqualified. Qualifications, how much should they matter if you want to hire this person? And if you can't even independently make a decision for fear of backlash, scorn, then I mean, you're never going to be able to do what's in your own best interests. Yeah, fans are pissed right now. Ticket sales are something you're thinking about, but it's not like Lovey Smith is bringing people back. Great. He made a Super Bowl with the Chicago Bears a million years ago. He is qualified. He has experience both at Illinois and with the Bears and with the Bucks. Great, wonderful, splendid. And he's also going to give you a little continuity. And honestly, not the end of the world that you have some continuity with the way that the finish, with the season finished. You have Pep Hamilton staying on as offensive coordinator. It's, it's not all bad here, but it just makes you wonder about the decision-making process. Did the Texans get... Essentially ghosted? Did Josh McCown read the room? See that there is potentially a lot of backlash that was going to come his way through no fault of his own if he gets hired and say, Yeah, fuck this. I don't want it. Feels like that might be a possibility. Did the Texans just see the lawsuit and think to themselves, we gotta find a way to make ourselves look like we're not racist and hire somebody who is qualified so that the NFL doesn't look bad I I I don't know what the process was but it just makes me continuously look like you are probably right now with quite the spotlight at one Jack Easterby how many of you guys have found yourself inadvertently at a pyramid scheme meeting I have I was hanging out with some friends at an apartment complex and in the common area, some folks told us, hey, you should come to our room. There's drinks. We're having a party. I thought to myself, oh, yeah, maybe some girls here. There's free drinks, clearly. May as well pregame with some random folks before I end up going out to the bar. So we go inside. There's like cheese platters and charcuterie all over the place. And I'm thinking to myself, "Okay, this would actually maybe be a longer stay than I was planning. But then all of a sudden, a bunch of people come into the room, the door closes, and someone says, all right, guys, I, I got something to share with you. I had never seen a pyramid scheme presentation before, so I was patient, but my eyebrow was raised. And all of a sudden... I see all these pictures on a TV. It's like a slideshow with people holding these little banners that open up like this. And they're saying, you should be here. And I don't remember the details, but I remember that this group was very big into the idea that you could own your own BMW BMW specifically. Again, I'm not really sure about why they made some of the decisions that they did, but they said the people in our group end up making so much money. That they end up buying BMWs. It's like our sort of thing. But then they explained how things worked. And basically, you have somebody above you who is going to give you a task. And if you, I guess, accumulate a certain number of underlings, then you get to a certain status. And after about five minutes, I was like, okay. So I'm looking at my friends over to my left. They're sitting on the couch, and and I think they were uncomfortable. They didn't know what to do. They didn't want to be rude. So I just got up and left. My friends did not follow me. I thought that they would. I thought that that show of force would perhaps get them to follow me. And it took them about, like, 10 to 20 minutes to follow me out. And everyone had this, like, glazed look over their face afterwards. So I tell you the story to tell you this. You will find yourself in situations where people are clearly taking advantage of you, using you, perhaps even hypnotizing you. But eventually you're going to come to. Hopefully. All you can do right now with the Houston Texans is hope that Cal McNair eventually comes to with Jack Easterby. Because Easterby was the one that I'm guessing was pushing Josh McCown. I don't think Casario was. Casario would have likely been pushing a former Patriots head coach. Excuse me, not head coach. A former Patriots coach. Right? I mean, that's generally the the Patriots people. They all seem to see eye to eye. And even if things don't necessarily work out when they leave the nest, they like to bring their guys with them. See Bill O'Brien, Romeo Cornell. So... When uh, Mike Vrabel as well. So when these situations unfold in a way where a guy with no experience, with no ties to the Patriots, is you know brought in on like an internship a couple of years ago, and then is all of a sudden sort of foisted into the center of the conversation about who the next head coach is after they moved on from David Culley. It felt like they had already made a decision, but they're going to pull up out of said decision so quickly for reasons that are really difficult to comprehend. Who would be making that move? Do you really get the sense that it's Cal McNair that's operating the controls when it's that quick? He feels rather hands-off. He feels rather, yeah, you know, everything he should be saying... I'll trust you, Jack. You keep on doing what you're doing. Whatever the relationship is that has led to that. I'm not going to hate on it, but it's troubling because it feels like one person and his words. He's got such a silver tongue that he can sort of just like in the movie inception, incept an idea into somebody's mind and they're just going to be okay with it. So now when you see this sudden breakage The one positive that maybe comes out of it is that maybe, just maybe, Cal McNair says, wow, I almost made this decision that everyone would have been really angry at me for. And maybe I should have stuck to my guns and shown some sacks, shown some balls, and just gone with Josh McCown. But something made him pause, and this is my hope. My hope is that perhaps he is starting to realize that he is in that same kind of pyramid scheme meeting room that I was. This happens... All the time! All the time! Why? I think most people who know me know that Russell Wilson gets under my skin from time to time. I'm annoyed by his legacy-obsessed individual nature. I am annoyed by his constant non-answers that feature him saying, The reality is... The reality is that the reality is the reality. Oh, okay. Okay. I get tired of his extremely public vacations, whether he's hiring a photographer group to follow him around as if he is Tom Brady and Giselle Bunchen. Sorry, you're not. You and Ciara are like D-list celebrities at best. Or it's during the off-season when he is making noise during vacation by having people say, for him his agent that he would be okay being traded to specific teams don't even try to tell me that wasn't him it was he's bringing up unprompted in a press conference when bobby wagner's future is a topic point his own future i don't know i hope i'm still here well you're in complete control over whether or not you're going to be here going forward and put your name on things if you actually have something to say have some stones A lot of things annoy me about Russell Wilson, but I do think that he is a damn good quarterback. I do think, though, that people are starting to change their mind on Russell Wilson after the last year and a half of football, even though he has had some stretches where he has looked like a possible MVP candidate, specifically early in the 2020 season. Ryan Clark is on ESPN's Get Up, and he had this to
2: say, and it's got some Seahawks fans in a tizzy. Russell Wilson is a very good football player. Russell Wilson is a really good quarterback. Russell Wilson's not a great quarterback. Russell Wilson is not an all-time great quarterback. He's never going to be in those conversations. And so we have to stop putting him in in, in that world, in that world that any team that has Russell Wilson can win a Super Bowl.
0: Really good. Yes, we're in agreement there. Great. Russell Wilson has been great. Is Russell Wilson what we've seen from him over the last year and a half, though still in that realm? I don't know. He could definitely get back there. I think we're all in agreement there. He's not that old. But that last part, he's right, Ryan Clark. If you think otherwise, you're crazy. Russell Wilson is not an all-time great quarterback right now. There have been plenty of quarterbacks that have come and gone before him that I think are people that we would be a lot more willing to say, yeah, all-time great. Dan Marino's one of them. John Elway's one of them. Steve Young? These are those quarterbacks that are in that, yeah, they were really good during their day. Are they going to be remembered as the greatest quarterback of all time? No, but they're going to be thought of as some of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game. Troy Aikman, is he? Eh, that's where it starts to get a little bit dicey, but I mean, the guy has been and won three Super Bowls. Russell Wilson's been to two, won one, lost the other. Did he lose it all on his own? No, quarterback records are weird because it's a team sport, but. The first Super Bowl was definitely won by the Seattle Seahawks' historic defense. The second, the defense played pretty well until the fourth quarter, but it's Russell Wilson throwing the interception on the one-yard line. Whether that call should have been made or not, that's besides the point. Russell Wilson is the guy who essentially the statistics books – that was a weird way to say statistics. Statistics books are going to show like Russell Wilson threw an interception on the one-yard line in that game. So we're talking about an all-time great – Some jabroni who's never watched Russell Wilson 30 years from now will be like, isn't he the guy who blew that Super Bowl? Acting like he knows what happened in that game. He didn't actually watch it probably, but that's just the way that things go. That's how how things will be remembered and not remembered. We forget, and it doesn't take that long to forget. So Russell Wilson as an all-time great. I take offense when people say Drew Brees is an all-time great. Oh, but Paul, has got all those statistics. Who gives a shit about yards? Stop talking about yards. Who cares? Everyone's throwing for more and more passing yards every single season. Drew Brees played in a dome. Drew Brees also had a lot of success due to the fact that he was checking passes down to some awesome satellite backs for the majority of his career. So I factor that in, the dome... Uh, a couple of seasons where the team didn't finish above 500 as strikes against Drew Brees as an all-time great quarterback, which I, I think there can only be a select few. Great quarterback, sure, for his era. Yeah, absolutely. All-time great. Stop trying to lump him in with Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. Those two have lapped him by quite a long, long margin. But Drew Brees has a leg up, several legs up on Russ. Russ has had, I think, a damn good career. There is a case to be made that he will be a Hall of Famer at some point. He has the Super Bowl victory. But I think that this comparison that Ryan Clark made a little bit later on Get Up is... Not the worst one when it comes to the trajectory that Russell Wilson's career is currently
2: on. This is kind of like Big Ben's trajectory, but I think Big Ben was the better football player where Big Ben wins too when the defense is great and when they have a run game and and when you you limit turnovers. And then when he gets the killer bees, this offense is high flying. He's one of the best players in the football game and you don't win a championship.
0: So they never won a championship. He's right on that. Clark is also going to be biased towards Ben Roethlisberger saying that Roethlisberger is better. I know we all hate hearing that Roethlisberger is better than Russell Wilson, but I mean, when I think about Ben Roethlisberger, I'm going to put him above Russell Wilson should Russell Wilson's career just end right now as far as what he did. He's been to three Super Bowls, he's won two, he has put up prolific numbers. Wilson will probably surpass a lot of those numbers eventually, but is it going to come with more success? Than Ben. Because Ben's not an all-time great either. Ben is a great quarterback of his era. And there's nothing wrong with being a great quarterback of his era. But that's all Russell Wilson is at this point in time. And I think there is definitely a chance that he is on the backslope with the way things are going. Is that what you say? The backswing? The back nine? Whatever. You get what I'm trying to say here. There's a chance that his play is deteriorating. It's been a year and a half where you have not looked... Uh, at Russell Wilson with the same kind of fear if you're another team that you probably did during all of 2019 and the first half of 2020. So,
2: Ryan Clark concluded his thoughts on GetUp about Russell Wilson as such. We have to stop including Russell Wilson in these talks that if Russell Wilson goes here, does this team win a Super Bowl? If Russell Hmm. Wilson goes here, does this team win a Super Bowl? This isn't basketball, and frankly, Russell Wilson actually isn't that great. He isn't that much of a factor that changes who football teams are. And so now we're thinking to ourselves, is he an upgrade over the quarterback we have, and can he make us a better team? And that's not every team in the NFL. But it's the majority of teams in the NFL.
0: I don't get it twisted, Ryan. I mean, do you add Russell Wilson to a lot of teams? They are going to be better. I would say probably outside of all, but eight quarterbacks that off the top of my head that I can't think of, like definitively, he is going to be better than those guys. And I think that the work ethic that he puts in also, is something that is is really going to give him a leg up on, I would say the majority of quarterbacks. I think he gives a shit. He annoys me, but I, I really do think that he, as far as work ethic goes, is one of the hardest workers that we've ever seen. He just likes to talk about it probably a little bit too much, but whatever the case, don't get mad at Ryan Clark for this opinion. It is not far-fetched. It is not being a hater. He is saying that Russell Wilson is not an all-time great, and right now he's correct. Miss y'all Seattle. Hope y'all are doing well up there. And now, time for Mike Meltzer. I mean, I don't think there's any better way to start off a conversation about the Texans hiring Lovey Smith as head coach without playing this.
2: Houston, and, we're ready
0: to play. and oh boy, they love to play the We Are Texans card. <laughs> Joining me right now on the Galat Says Podcast, my good friend Mike Meltzer. Mike, what was your first reaction to? First off, last night, all of a sudden Lovey Smith's name
1: just. Resurrects as an actual candidate for the Texans head coaching gig, and today he gets it. My first reaction was this has to be some sort of compromise candidate because while these were not like official, official finalists, the the, the, the Texans' own Twitter account announced like last Wednesday that they completed conversations with Brian Flores, mm-hmm. Jonathan Gannon, yep. and Josh McCown. And all of a sudden Lovey Smith pops up last minute. With this Schefter Field Yates thing, which was obviously like, okay, they're going to hire Lovey Smith. And I'm going to say to you what I said on Mad Dog Sports Radio on Monday night, which was if Brian Flores does not sue the NFL and three specific teams, I think Josh McCown's the coach. And I don't think Lovey's the coach. That's where I come down on it. If that's the case, it's just so.
0: It's a pussy move. I mean, if you're an organization and you have any sense of self, you can't be scared away from hiring the guy that you want to hire. I have no idea if Josh McCown's actually going to be good as a head coach. No one does, to be perfectly honest. He's never done it before. I think it's a very reasonable thing to say that he's going to have a very steep uphill climb, especially with what this roster currently is. But if you like him, hire him. And... This lawsuit coming out at the point that it did, Mike, for them to backpedal out of it, it's either that or maybe it's Josh McCown reading the room and saying, you know what? (laughs) Everyone's going to be mad at me if I take
1: this job with no fault of my own. I'm just not going to do it. Well, I also wonder because there, there are two sides of it, right? Like, did they crumble under the maybe public slash NFL league office pressure not to hire Josh um, or is the environment so kind of toxic and tense that if they hired McCown would the reaction have been so vociferous that it almost like would have cut off his head coaching uh, ability at the knees? I don't even know what that looked like, but I'm just throwing it out there. Like, would the reaction have been so angry and bad that it would have made things untenable for them moving forward?
0: That's the impression I get. But no matter what they did, and I said this on last week's episode of the Galat Says podcast, that no matter what they do, they are going to be criticized for it. Rightfully so, given the way that they've operated over the last couple of years and the fact that they hired David Cully for just one year only to move on from him after one year where even if you do have objections to his coaching acumen, I mean, what the hell was he supposed to do, you know? And honestly, with the way that they finished the season, I feel like there at the very least was a case to be made. Okay, bring it back. I personally wouldn't have, but I also personally wouldn't have hired him. And, yes. and here we are doing something, Mike, that makes more sense a year year ago than it does today. Hiring Lovey Smith as the head coach, maybe on some sort of interim basis, makes sense last year. Now it's, hey, guess what? This job is still not desirable to other coaching candidates, or it's you're doing things for the rationale of we want to make our public relations better, which is not possible with any hire that they were going to make.
1: Yes. And, and with that, you've kind of like used up maybe a coach hire that Nick Casario had in his quiver. Like, I, I think a lot of people are wondering that, that if you're going to hire, first of all, if you fire David Culley to hire Lovey Smith, why fire David Culley to begin with? Yeah. And then if you hire Lovey Smith now, why didn't you just hire him a year plus ago? Or Romeo now, Pinnell, like we talked about before. Yes. Now it's a more sort of awkward situation. And now, and I tweeted this on Monday. Now I'm at a point, I, I consider myself sort of like a, an expert in figuring out, figuring out like where a franchise is, like what the expectations are, like when are they supposed to be goodbye? Because that's kind of what we do in sports talk, right? Now I'm at a point where Nick Casario, Jack Easterby, Lovey Smith, I don't have a good sense. Maybe you have a better sense of where the rebuild stands when they're supposed to be good, when they're supposed to be competitive, like is Lovey Smith now the higher is Lovey Smith now like the higher by which Nick and Jack are judged by? Or is this another bridge coach kind of like David Cully, just with a better resume? He's
0: 63 years old. It's yes. hard to believe he's the long term answer. I hate to be ageist, but sure. even if Buffy Smith has experience as a head coach, it's not like it was particularly impressive of late. Yeah, with the Bucks, three years. Now with the Bears, okay. I mean, they did. Uh, it was a good run. Yeah, they got to a Super Bowl, so uh, cool. But that's a long time ago. Is he all of a sudden, after a couple of stints in the NFL, after a stint in college, going to be someone that you look at and say he can give us eight years. Cause I would say that's the optimistic look at how long a head coach gives you for a period of time. But I I just, I just don't look at Lovey Smith as that guy. I, I feel like interim. Yes. Great. But I would rather go with the guy that they seemingly liked in Josh McCown. Personally, I was intrigued by the idea of Pep Hamilton, though it never seems like he was really floated as anything more than an offensive coordinator. And that's at least the good news of today. But yeah, if we're looking at the actual timeline of a rebuild, Lovey
1: Smith feels like another bridge as opposed to, hey, this is our guy going forward. Because I know some fans have pointed this out, and people will kind of sell this line more moving forward, that, well, look at what they had in 2021 compared to what they have now. They have arguably upgraded a head coach, They have maybe upgraded at offensive coordinator, although, you know, Pep Hamilton's stint with the Colts in Michigan was not without fault, certainly. No doubt. You you can make that argument that head coach, offensive coordinator, they upgraded. We'll see what they do with DC, and they have a lot of other assistant spots to fill. And I think with Lovey and with Pep and whoever they hire, like, it's not going to look like some horrific product. Like, they'll know what they're doing. But my bigger question is like, what is the grand plan here? Because Nick Casario spent 20 years toiling with the Patriots. I mean, not toiling, because he made good money. He was their number two. Did Nick Casario spend 20 years, Paul, to get his shot at being an NFL GM, expecting to hire David Cully and Lovey Smith as his first two head coach candidates? Did he expect that? I don't think so. But then you
0: get to the... Second part of that, could they have hired anyone better than this? Is this the best that the organization could have done through no
1: fault of Casario? Well, that, the, I think that to me is like a real mystery because sometimes when a coach, uh, when a coaching search goes haywire, like let's say you're the Texans this weekend, you're like, all right, um, they're not going to hire Flores for whatever reason. Maybe just the lawsuit. Who, who, like I, I honestly, even when Flores was fired, like the people linked them immediately. I, I just didn't think they'd go in that direction. Lawsuit aside, mm-hmm. McCown, those issues. Gannon, I'm not exactly sure what happened there. Like what he wanted versus them. You could just restart the search. I mean. There are other candidates around the NFL. People want head coaching jobs. Um, I had a friend text me who, this, this is one of those deals where with the Texans like, you know something is weird when I'm getting texts from people who don't talk about the Texans with me being like, hey, what the hell's going on? They're going to hire Lovey Smith. And I had a friend of mine who was like, Why didn't they reach out to D'Amico Ryan's like that would have been perfect?
0: Oh, I I mean, I was listening to in the loop the other day and I I think uh, Wade Smith had jumped on the show and Wade Smith proposed it. And I was like, that makes so much fucking sense. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has roots here, who's coming off a great season with the 49ers defense and and what they were able to do this year. I mean, everything he's he's, you know, for an organization that is at best viewed as racially insensitive, you know, outside. (laughs) I mean, it's a blackhead. conversation. Coach that you're hiring. Like there were so many positives to it. And I don't think they ever even considered him. Now maybe it's because, you know, of a past lawsuit or something like that. And it, maybe they're that sensitive to things of that nature. But you're right. And and this they are constantly like your stupid friend that you're constantly explaining. Hey, yes, uh insert example. Um oh wow, Paul, why do you hang out with um I'm trying not to throw any people I know under the bus throw. What? Why do you, why do you always hang out with Xander? He shows up drunk and pukes on everybody. And the next, the last time I saw him, he was dry humping my fiance. I don't like it when you hang out with him and you're like, well, I mean, you just don't get it. But I mean, you, you can't even explain him anymore. You're just like, all right, well, he's just in the group. And, and that's what the Texans are constantly. It's like, Hey, I, I don't even know how to explain this. They're just,
1: they're just here. And I happen to live here. Yes. I feel like it's the weirdest situation I've ever seen in pro sports. Like in my lifetime. It's the weirdest. Ever since the day they fired Brian Gain, nothing makes sense. Like nothing is in the realm of what a normal NFL team would do. Like the, the day they fired Brian Gain, and really you can go back to when they hired Jack Easterby a few months earlier in April 2019. Like that's when kind of the direction of the franchise changed. And like on its face, you can look at this and say, okay, Lovey Smith is head coach okay, he's been successful before and he's established and he's a pro and I would agree with those things, but it's like, what, what's the larger thing that you're trying to build here? Like, what, what, what is this exactly as far as long-term contention, rebuilding this thing? It's we,
0: as the Texans, could have taken a giant shit on the fans' porch by hiring Josh McCown and instead we are crop dusting them with a toot by hiring Lovey Smith, like that's that's what it is. It's like, oh, you didn't want Josh McCown?
1: Okay, okay, we get yes. it. Here's Lovey Smith. <laughs> yes. It's like, oh, I, uh, thanks. I'm, I guess. I'm curious how how they're gonna sell this. They can't because, I, I mean, I think that the fan base is probably fine with Lovey Smith, but they're not getting more people to buy season tickets because Lovey Smith is the head coach. No, they're not. And I I just think about these two head coaching searches compared to the two before them for the Texans and sometimes you get a guy who's top of the market but it doesn't work out like but when you look at it when they hired Gary Kubiak in 2006 Gary Kubiak was the offensive coordinator of a multiple time Super Bowl champion yeah. he had turned down other jobs before he took the Texans one he
0: was extremely qualified and he's a local guy like there yes. was, it was a home run higher at the, home run you higher. know, at least out, out, out of the shoot. And, you know, we can all go back and forth on what his tenure with the Texans was, but in 2011 and 2012, you can't deny how good the team
1: finally yep. ended up looking. And then Bill O'Brien, even though things in his tenure ended terribly, Bill O'Brien at the time in 2013, he coming out look of that good. season. Yeah, he was the top candidate on the market. Now, just because you land the top candidate doesn't mean that he's going to be a good coach. But I think there's real value in having a franchise that has seen a stable, gives guys a long time. And now you contrast that (laughs) with these last two searches where you end up with David Culley, who I didn't even know existed before they hired him uh, last year. Like (laughs) I I didn't didn't even know he was a coach in the NFL. I Uh, didn't either. And then this Lovey Smith thing where they go through a process and you think like, OK, well, David Cully, that was a placeholder. It was a bridge. It was only a year. Fine. Now they're going to get their guy. Now it's like they pull Lovey Smith basically, you know, rabbit out of the hat over a weekend when he wasn't one of the finalists. And it just feels like they have settled for it. sounds bad to say settled, but like, no, they settled.
0: You're right. I mean, yes. look,
1: there's one thing it, you're 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 both um,
0: unstable and you're underwhelming people. I mean, the Jaguars are unstable, but last year they hired Urban Meyer. No yes. matter how what you think about Urban Meyer and what you saw of him last year, there's no doubt about his resume. None whatsoever. He yep. was out of the game for a while, though, and they probably should have realized, okay, he's probably not going to have the same kind of passion that he used to. Um, then uh, they hired Doug Peterson, Super Bowl winning head coach. Yep. I mean, say what you will about Peterson, and I think he should have been able to get more out of Carson Wentz, but even if you're unstable, unstable, whatever you were able to get the sexiest hire possible. Is that because of Trevor Lawrence both times? Maybe, but you have now gone and gotten David Cully and an underwhelming retread coach. That's already had two opportunities as a head coach in this league.
1: I think about there's a, I think sort of famous saying about Bill Walsh when he was talking to some other coach and he was like, you know, yeah, there are 32 NFL teams, but when it comes to championships, you're only really competing with like, a set amount of teams and most teams you are not really competing with. Like they're not legitimate contenders. I imagine for the teams in the AFC, I mean, you can try to justify this. And again, I want to emphasize, I don't think this is going to look awful on the field in 2022. It'll look normal. And they have a quarterback with some promise. We'll see how much in Davis Mills. But if I'm a team that's a real contender in the AFC, I am not looking at the Texans as any serious competition, given their current state. And given what this operation is, they are just one of like that giant muck of teams. That's not really a threat to anybody to do anything harmful to anybody else.
0: I don't think they're a total disaster on the field, if that's any condolences They weren't this past year. I agree. Down the stretch, I mean, considering the lack of talent, you you would assume that, okay, they continue to actually um, build through the draft and have a first, a second round draft pick, that things could be at the very least slightly more promising assuming that they actually are able to land some sort of uh, young talent going into the season. But, you know, going back to it, th- then you, you just have to wonder about something you were mentioning a little bit ago. Okay. Casario comes in and his first two hires are David Cully and Lovey Smith. And I was of the m- hope Mike that the Texans were going to once casario was in the building look at casario look at jack easterby and say all right casario's in charge here jack you you were steadying the course through the rough waters in the post bill o'brien era but now it's hard to feel like easterby isn't attached to all of this because it started with josh mccown is that really who casario was wanting as a head coach i find that hard to believe it seems like the patriot guys stick with patriot guys yep and lovey smith Feels like, oh, they hired some sort of PR consultants at the very end this weekend after Brian Flores did it, or hired lawyers who don't know shit, and that this is the conclusion that they came to. And to me, that feels like a move that an owner would green light, but not somebody who actually
1: knows what he is doing in football operations. I also wonder how much would it trouble you if they had to convince? Lovey to take the job because I was told by somebody who I trust last year and remember the timing of that. They hired David Cully and then it's like, oh, by the way, Lovey's at NRG right now and he's going to be your defensive coordinator. One of these kind of deals like I heard last year and I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one that Lovey didn't want to be the head coach of the team. That he was just like, hey, I've been a head coach. I just want to be a defensive coordinator, focus on defense. I think he actually did a pretty solid job. I was surprised. So what if they had to talk Lovey Smith into doing this? Does did that, you that think they gave you? him a
0: four-year contract for $22 million that sure. has a one-year out like they yes. just did with Cully? It's funny how people were like, oh, poor David Cully. Like, I, I do think that, yeah, he, he looks bad, I guess, in the history books as someone who got hired. But I mean, he got like a four-year, $22 million retirement package and some of the conflicting data that was coming out after he got fired, where at first I thought, I think it was an Aaron Wilson report, like, oh wait, he's not getting paid anything. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. I felt yeah. bad. But then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, this is just as expected like most coaching contracts are guaranteed. And I don't think he probably thought to himself, listen, worst comes to worst. I can retire after this is done. But uh, I mean, money's not an issue. I I guess I'm not the kind of person who's going to get mad if a team hires a head coach to a contract and then decides to cut the cord on the contract. Like that's their own irresponsible spending. It's not like it's taking away from their budget. It's not like they're the Bengals or something like that. Um, I I don't know. I kind of went on a tangent here and I sort of lost where I was going with it, but ultimately I, I think that, You know, there's a good chance that they might be looking at this the same way that they looked at it with Cully, where they say, hey, uh, one year and out. But and and now and and now you're in a situation.
1: Yeah. and, And I think, okay, so theoretically, the job should get more attractive as they have more picks. They're not gonna be good this year. They wouldn't be good if Vince Lombardi was coaching them. We all know that. So they're gonna have another high pick next year, plus whatever we get they get for Deshaun. Hopefully it's a bunch. We shall see. Mm-hmm. The job should be more attractive, but like since you've gone through the O'Brien firing and the Cully firing, like are are they going to be in a position in a year if they want to move off of, of Lovie Smith? Would that just look bad? And now they have to go through another year. Like I I just see some of the people who interact with me on Twitter and they, they seem to be arguing like, well, they're going to like build up this roster and like get these players with good habits and all this. And I'm like, who does it this way? Like teams hire coaches to do this so that they can coach the young players. Like, I, I, I I don't know. Objectively the job should get more attractive because I don't think the talent base could get any worse. And and Casario showed some promise with his initial draft, but it's like, it it goes back to my confusion about the timeline. Like where are we in the rebuild and what are the expectations? is it, is it, get to the playoffs in 2023 is it gets to the playoffs in 2024 if that doesn't happen who is accountable for that is it the whole organization is it just the coach I, I i don't know the answers to these questions
0: i don't either and it just hurts to see that some of the guys that you have decided to move on from whether it's dj reader with the bengals it's charles Minahu with the san francisco 49ers are playing key roles on teams that are making deep runs in the playoffs i mean that to me you know no matter what they do going forward you can't help but look at that and say oh yeah they had him oh yeah they had him uh well you hope that you're able own. to find that guy but the drafts a crapshoot you know I think even if you're good at this shit you're yes. probably gonna screw up uh just as much as you succeed uh, you know the last situation I covered in Seattle like John Schneider had a lot of bad drafts in a row and it feels like all of a sudden hey maybe they found some decent drafts over the last couple of years but it's not gonna get you back to where you were a long time ago where you had in like 2012 and 2011 just miraculous drafts
1: I am amused at, I don't, did you see that uh, McLean had that tweet over the weekend about how the Texans had all these stars like Deshaun and JJ and DeAndre now basically all the, the stars are in the sky. And so Wait, I right. guess it like John, Gr- so John Grenard and Jacob Martin, I think Martin may have been first, but somebody in the audience will correct me. I'm sure if I'm wrong on this, uh, they quote tweeted and they basically called, uh, McLean a sellout. And I'm like, all right, first of all, if you know John McClain, and I love John personally, some of his football opinions at times frustrate me, John's been the same guy on Twitter the whole damn time. yeah. Like he's always going to be critical of the team in that way. Like he's not selling out to anybody. He's just saying the truth. Yeah, well, so, so some of these guys, I know this is kind of like a side, but like some of these players, and I get that it would not be a great experience to be on this team in this situation, but they got to be less sensitive when it comes to this social media, they, they should be off of social media. Like Kevin Porter is get off of it, it. Yes.
0: Right. Just get off it. There's no, there's no benefit to it. No, one's going to say anything good about you sell out. Th- these people aren't here to pump your tires. They're here to cover a team. That's a fucking mess. You know, yeah. it's- it's not it's not gonna be bright, sunshiny or or roses. Yeah, sellouts weird. But also things are changing now, and I, I think people are like way more sensitive about the way that they are covered these days because there's That's so much true. noise. You know, I I don't think people I just don't think people know how to handle, you know, constructive
1: criticism or actual criticism anymore. Did that Best happen to, in Seattle at all, by the way, out of curiosity? Uh what do you what do you mean by that? Did any players or any coaches like bristle at anything specific? I, I'm just kind of curious. Um, uh Jaron Reed blocked me
0: on, uh, on Twitter <laughs> when I said he wasn't worth the contract that he signed. Uh Well, I mean, he wasn't, you know, yeah. they tried to restructure it and he <laughs> not particularly sharp as a human being decided <laughs> when they were restructuring his contract that he was like, yeah, I'm not going to do this. And then they cut him and now he's playing for less money with the Kansas city Chiefs. So uh whatever. I, I don't, I don't think he puts in a lot of effort and I think he's very indistinguishable from other defensive linemen on the field. I did say that. I mean, I'm not wrong other that.
1: than that. Is Aaron Donald, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, that's clearly how he views himself. And also this is a guy who has a checkered past off the field just to do a little Google research. So yeah, real, real great human being there. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that if you're on a team like this, you know, what's happening, there's no point, you know? And and in fact, I I feel okay about it. It's like, there's not a lot of eyeballs directed your way. You, you probably should feel pretty good. It's only coming locally.
1: I always go back to, what JJ said after O'Brien got fired. And I know you weren't here, but I'm sure you've heard it. JJ. Wap- great yeah. He was basically like, he was happy that because it was so toxic at the time between the fan base and the team. He was like, I'm glad that we can kind of like get Freeze. back to, yeah. Like a sense of like relief or decompression. And I think, ne- and the problem is like, So now, okay, how much of that still exists? I I do think there's a bunch of anger, but now it's morphed into this, this like these wide swaths of apathy to where a thing that was impossible to imagine 10 years ago, five years ago, the team not being able to sell tickets is now like an accepted thing. And we'll see what it looks like in 2022, because it is still football in Houston. But like everybody saw those crowds last year. It's like the team doesn't exist nationally except for. What's going to happen with Deshaun Watson and, you know, Lovey Smith, God bless him. But like, he's not going to bring more people into those stands.
0: No, I mean, the only way is if they go on some sort of miraculous and probable run and win games or if Davis mills, or I hope another quarterback who they bring onto the roster shows a little bit of flash excitement, but yeah, right now, I mean, who, who are you looking at and saying, Whoa, look at this. Um, I I think that you're right in that there are some guys that they brought in where there's at least something there, but outside of and his name is eluding me right now. Who who is that tight end? That younger tight end that they that they brought in
1: who seemed to be making flashes towards Revan the, Jordan.
0: Yeah, outside yeah, of, outside. Yeah, outside of him, I'm like I I don't I don't know where. Where the excitements coming from? I mean,
1: I mean, they they have no uh, to me. When I look at this roster is that, you know, the Lions
0: check that Brandon Cooks is a very good player. And and, and if they keep him, which does not seem like a certainty, that is, I guess, uh, a guy who you could say, oh, he's good. But But
1: they have star power. Yes, they have no foundational players that you can build a team around moving forward. Now, I think they have some nice players, Grenard. Brevin Jordan, Nico Collins, like they have some guys here and there, guys who played well last season, who Casario brought in, they might resign, but like starting with this draft, they have to bring in some foundational football players just to build up where the roster is. I mean, you look at these other teams, Jacksonville has some foundational players headlined by Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you look at the Lions; they have foundational players: Panay Sewell, Amon Ross, St. Brown. They have some talent. Uh, the Jets have some talent. The Giants have some talent. Carolina has talent. The Texans are like completely bereft of that, and that like that has to start with that number three pick overall in late April. Um, and, and this is something I was thinking about. Like, no matter who they hired as coach, and I, I'm not down on Lovey. Like Lovey, okay, I I'll, I'm sure I'll get myself to a point where it's like okay. We'll see what this looks like. We'll see what it is, but I'm
0: not mad about it. Yeah. I I feel like, okay, look, it's, it's, it it could be worse. You could, if this was like Pat Shermer or some other, one of those other, like just bags of meat that keeps on being tossed from organization to organization, I would have be like, okay, but I guess you could say Smith is that guy. I I like that at the very least he was here last year. If you're, if you are going to decide to go with a kind of boring route, then you keep Pep Hamilton and you keep lovey Smith. Okay. Down the stretch, those two sides of the football, they weren't looking Terrible. So, I yes. mean, there's that.
1: The most important thing, aside from the coach hiring, is like, again, they could have hired anybody. They need to vastly upgrade the roster talent. And I know that coaches make your talent better, but they could have hired the best guy available, whether that's Nathaniel Hackett, Mike McDaniel, who the hell knows? If this roster doesn't get way better, none of this is going to matter. Like right. none of it's going to matter. Uh, they need to upgrade the talent. They need to desperately hit on those first and second round picks. I don't know that they're going to be like big game hunting and free agency, but it might be nice to land some guys who are like, you know, 26, 27, who they can build on the next couple of years. So that's something that I shouldn't forget, even in my frustration with the whole situation is that. Building up the talent is objectively more important than who the coach is right now, because the talent is such that like it wouldn't matter who coached this team if the talent doesn't get better. Do you
0: think, though, that they will be able to just like with the head coaching search where it's probably an uphill battle for them to get the bell of the ball, if you will? How many free agents are going to want to come here? I mean, outside looking in, it's a disaster. Even yeah. even if you do find out behind the scenes, actually, actually, it's not that bad. You know, blah, 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 blah. blah. You could tell some sort of side story. <laughs> Objectively, anyone who you tell that to is going to be like, uh, are you fucking kidding me? Are you crazy? Like, look yeah. at this. Look at that. Look at this. And to me,
1: that's frustrating because that means it, That means it's, it's all draft. It's not free agency. I would not like it if Casario replicated his plan of last year which is bring in a horde of guys on like one year contracts. I would like this free agency to be more targeted. I don't think they're bringing any big free agents. I think that's more of a 2023 or 2024 kind of thing, but you know, maybe go aggressively or assertively at a couple of guys and build it up to where you're not like turning over the roster to that extent again. Because I almost think if they do that, then if I was Lovey, I'd be like, well, this is the same thing as David Cully went through a year ago. <laughs> I, I have a question um, for you that about Deshaun
0: Watson, because that's yeah. I, after this is now done. That's the next big step, hopefully, this offseason. I don't know that he would say yes to this, which is a big wrench in everything. But maybe he would just because of the fact that he is no longer a persona grata anywhere. He is a pariah in NFL circles. I would like the Texans to make the trade happen with the jets. And as okay. someone who is a fan of the jets, I, I, <laughs> I think you realize that that's definitely something the jets would like assuming that everything's clear on that front. I, I don't know how you feel about the way Wilson played down the stretch. I know he was playing better than he had been earlier in the year, Zach Wilson, Um But I look at what the Jets have now, and I feel like they have the most bang for your buck now. And I I honestly think that's the most important thing for this team right now is to get really good young talent now as much as they can, as opposed to sort of staggering over years. Because I I don't think you're going to be able to really bring people back if you're saying like, all right, we have a first round pick this year. We have a couple first round picks next year or something like that. I I think you got to get help now to show that this rebuild is not going
1: to be as long a road as it looks right now. It would surprise me a lot from the Jets standpoint. I think they're all think so, in with okay. Zach. Yeah, I think they're all in with Zach Wilson. Um, I don't think he had a very good rookie season. That's kind of pretty obvious when you watch, when you look at the stats. I think there was some progress late in the season. He was a little bit more comfortable. I thought um, he made some plays. I thought the Tampa game was one where I was like, okay, he, he's making some nice throws. Everything right. looks pretty normal here. Um, if it were me, like, I would do it if I were the Jets, but that would be a and that would be like a, Hey, Zach Wilson's a big part of that trade. Like I'm not going to give you like 5 million first round picks. Like I'm giving you Zach Wilson, who was the number mm. two pick. And then I don't know what the Texans would like do with that. Like, would you take Zach Wilson over Davis mills? I'm going to say yes, because I would, you can't, I would, yeah, you, you can't at least like, compete. Yeah. You can't ignore the evaluation. Like the jets were not the only team that was going to take Zach Wilson high last yeah. year. So I, I still think Carolina is the one that makes a lot of sense. Like, I don't know what you think of Carolina, but Everyone there is going to get fired. And by everybody, I'd be a Matt rule if they don't get better next season. And he played college football in the area. That division is... Tampa can be solid because they have such a talented roster, but you lose Brady and that's obviously massive. The division is there for the taking. Like, I don't know why Deshaun would not want to play for the Panthers considering how much better he would make them.
0: And he also, I think would compared to other places be accepted a lot more uh, than anywhere else, you know, because of that Clemson tie, you have that massive fan base. That's right there. And I mean, if you're the Panthers right now, I think you're, you're looking for anything that's going to bring a little more interest back in because obviously the cam newton effect had a very short shelf life i'm back (laughs) i'm back okay oh yes he's gone so so where do you think it's going to happen where do you think he's going to end up going because i you know there's other situations there's philadelphia which has a lot of ammunition but i don't know that he necessarily wants to go there um there's obviously the whole jalen hurts situation does philadelphia like him uh there's the new york giants but the John Mara obviously said uh, publicly, no, we're not going to trade for Deshaun Watson. So that's one of the teams that has, has the most assets that's out of the picture. Who who do you think is outside of Carolina is,
1: is like a real possibility? I think if he settles the cases, like I'm curious about the timing of settling versus trade. Is it going to happen kind of simultaneously? Um, or is it going to be one? Is it going to be the settlement happens and all of a sudden it's like, the Texans will try to start a bidding war. In that case, I could see Denver. I could see Washington. Um, Honestly, uh, if I was Cleveland, like I would think about it. Yes. Really think about it. Um, Obviously Philadelphia, um, the saints, the saints, I don't know if that could work from a cap standpoint because they always have a lot of yeah. hijinks going on there. I mean, uh, d- do you the believe Pittsburgh the cap- Steelers? Oh, the Steelers would be an interesting one. The Steelers, yeah. Yeah,
0: I think he would definitely sign off on that one. I think everyone in Pittsburgh
1: would sign off on that one. Given They've gone through this kind of thing before.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, I don't think they have a problem with uh, shady quarterbacks.
1: Yeah, but I'm I'm just kind of like, I've gotten to the point where like, I'm concerned enough from a Texan standpoint, like, are they actually going to get a lot of assets for Deshaun? And like, the longer you go, you're like, is this really going to happen? And because it's like, what if they get nothing? And like, how much does that set this rebuild back? God forbid. Right. So I'm curious, like, I'm kind of interested from a legal standpoint, there were some reports that, hey, there was a grand jury in January. Well... It's now February, there's nothing on a grand jury, which by the way, should be a secret procedure anyway. Um, so nothing has seemed to happen so far on the, on the criminal front. I think these cases will get settled eventually, but you know there are 22 accuser plaintiffs, so you have to get everybody on board. Plus that doesn't technically eliminate criminal liability because there are some women who came to the police who are not part of the lawsuits. So I, basically I am saying all that, Paul, to say, if the cases get settled and we find out about that in like late February in advance of free agency, then I would say, okay, well, open up the bidding, Carolina, uh, who knows Atlanta, but especially Denver, Washington, uh, the new Orleans saints, the Eagles. And where would Deshaun be willing to go or is he still stuck on the Miami thing?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I think Pamani Jones said it best on his podcast. As far as scandals go, this would rank pretty low <laughs> in Miami. I mean, Jesus Christ, the guy who was the, uh, uh, lawyer for Quinton Dunbar, the former Seahawks cornerback, like that guy is <laughs> dropping money, some bags that her on camera yes. and he's, he's running for, uh, I think it was mayor of Miami beach. And he said, I'm not corrupt, And then like two days later, corruption charges. And he like withdraws his name and he's disbarred. I mean that's that's just like a one day kind of day in uh, in Miami. I, I'm I curious keep... to see what will happen. There's and there's part of yes. me like I, I kind of want there's part of me that wants them to just say nah, we're just not going to trade you. Yeah, like you play for us or you don't play for anybody.
1: No, I, I would like that, but I think we've uh, I think we've reached the points with athletes where I feel like if they if they I feel like if they did that these athletes would basically like sabotage the team even someone like Deshaun like they would I think they would like fake injuries like I, I hate to say it and I could be wrong in saying that but I think that's kind of where we are on it that you like you can do that like what Daryl Morey has done with Ben Simmons but eventually like I just don't buy like I remember when Daryl was on 975 of the fanatic and he's like listen if this thing takes three years or four years we're gonna hang on to Ben Simmons like I love Daryl but They're not hanging on to Ben fucking Simmons for three years. That's not going to happen.
0: It's probably not going to happen, but, I mean, it should happen. Like, the guy signed the extension,
1: you know? I I know, but, like, it's not going to go on that long. It's just not realistic.
0: I would feel, you're right in that there will come a point where they're, like, sick of it. But when you're this bad, I mean... What do you have? What do you really have to lose? Especially when you go back to what you're saying a little bit before. There, there is a chance you don't get the assets that you think you're going to get for Deshaun Watson. There's a chance True. that it's like DeAndre Hopkins kind of return, which would be a disaster. But
1: smart on any team that's negotiating with you, like why would you put a lot yes. of chips in the middle of the table? And, and then you wonder though. I feel like if there's this rift that's irreparable between Cal McNair and Deshaun Watson, uh, probably, and, and and especially if let's just say Janice McNair was like, I don't want this guy on my team. Then there's going to be some sort of end limit. And I think Casario's role in this is, Hey, we're paying you so much money so that we don't get fleeced. Like we did for Deandre Hopkins. And that's your role to execute this trade and get as much as possible. And by the way, I was thinking about this conversation, like not to get all morbid on you, but when you think about Nick Casario's obituary, so, so far, and we'll see how this works out. It's like hire David Cully, hire Lovey Smith, this is the guy who's going to trade Deshaun Watson. And listen, I, th- I don't know what other people think. People seem to think that like Deshaun's going to like not play well. I expect him to play great. Uh, what if he wins a Super Bowl at the next place? Like that's all in your obituary. First couple of lines, New York times.
0: I got nothing 2060. more. <laughs> I got nothing more. I'm John Feinstein and that's Nick Casario's <laughs> obituary. Yeah, exactly. CBS Sports Radio. Yeah, God. Uh I'm I got just saying more to add to that. No, I, you should be saying that. Ah, and then Jackie Easterby somehow survives. I, 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 yes, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, so I made this comparison earlier in the podcast. We've all been duped at some point in our life into, or someone attempted to dupe us into Something. going to some sort of meeting that turns out to be like a Ponzi scheme meeting, right? Yes. Eventually, you know, it's a Ponzi scheme and you leave. I, I remember there was a time where my friends and I in Houston, we were in an apartment. There was a bunch of people out in the lobby. They said, hey, we're having a party. You should come on in. We came on in. We sat down. We had some beers. And all of a sudden, the presentation starts and they put up on a TV. And after five minutes, I was like, I, I just said I, I just walked out and left. My friends stayed what for they, an
1: extra 25 minutes. What were they trying to sell?
0: Uh, it was It was like this thing where you can get a used BMW if you tell people that they can pay you so that you can travel anywhere.
2: And it was oh, like, just
0: so, it was just so ridiculous. I was like, I was looking at my friends. I was like, this is <laughs> stupid. Right. You know? Yeah. And I didn't want to be rude. And like text. So eventually sure. I just, I figured that this would send the message. I was like, I just got up and walked out. And <laughs> I walked out. Okay. If you're Cal McNair, at some point, you got to look at this guy and say, he's manipulating me. He's trying to manipulate me, right? At some point, you got to be like, oh, he is willing to do anything to survive. Because that's the impression I get on the outside looking at. And at some point, he's going to wake up. Like, he has to, unless he's at a total point. idiot. Like, you know, like, it, it's just everything, everything that's done by him. It feels like it is done in a way where he knows exactly how to make you think the way that he thinks. But you, you are a different human being than this
1: person Like a sociopath. Yeah. Right.
0: Yes. At some point, you should wake up, and and I'm just hoping that it happens because it just feels to me like that's clearly what this is. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's it's one guy who has just roped him into the most to the lengthiest uh, timeshare meeting of all time.
1: I can't disagree. Um, I think that the difference in this dynamic is it's so personal because of the faith, the religious faith they share. And I also think there's this dynamic. See, like your scenario is a good one. It's like, hey, there's a Ponzi scheme. At what point do you realize like before you walk into that party, you have no connection with those people. And the only thing that's kind of tethering you there is like the, the feeling of social obligation. Good point. Whereas here it's like there's obviously some sort of deep connection somehow between Cal and Jack. And then there's this unfortunate dynamic where the more he's criticized, the more there's this martyr thing going on where I think they think oh okay he's criticized like that makes us more right in what we're doing we need to double and, down and then there's this this tendency where I'm sure if you like exist in any professional sports organization, there are going to be criticisms of somebody who's polarizing, but they're going to look at those stories, SI articles, sports radio, whatever, and they're going to say, well, there are a couple of things in here that are like not really true or blatantly false. And so they'll latch on to those things and say, well, this reflects like an overall mischaracterization of Jack Easterby. So I think that's the, the problem of the dynamic that we're having. I remember. When people were concerned that he was going to be the GM after O'Brien got fired, he was the instrument. I was like, there's no chance that Jack would ever be the GM because someone like him, GMs have a record who they hire as coach, who they fire, who they draft. Jack Easterby is never the kind of guy who wants an actual track record that's supported by wins and losses on his resume, because then he's inherently accountable for for the results. But in the vice president of player operations role in charge of culture, you can kind of like manipulate and little finger and Rasputin your way to a lot of years of employment before it kind of catches up to you is my sense. And that is what he has done. It's, it's just hard to not,
0: Look at Easterby right now, as opposed to Lovey Smith, and I wish I wish we could just look at Lovey Smith, but I, yes. I'm just I all I can think of is either Texans PR or some third party said, you know what, this Brian Flores thing, you can't hire who you really want to hire, so you got to hire somebody else,
1: and watch them hire Josh McCown next year, and they'll watch me yeah, right years. back yes. fucking here. Good and God. by the way, I feel like the people who work in Texans PR deserve like Houston Medals of Honor. Those people omar all those guys yeah they have the hardest jobs in this city i, I, I don't know what you do the hardest <laughs> jobs do, in this city i mean it's it just you
0: it's sunday night you're like all right well we're getting ready for the josh mccown press release and i'm so like wait a second guys you got to make this all glamorous okay yes just a little sparkle little
1: sprinkles on this lovey smith I feel like, <laughs> I, feel what, like a big, uh, <laughs> I feel like a big selling point will be the beard.
0: He, he does. He does look like Black Santa Claus. Um, <laughs> that that at the very least makes him look charming, you know, as opposed to with. um, I, I what I mean, David Culley looked very grandfatherly too. I mean, what can I say? He did, yes. David Culley looked like a really nice guy. Apparently, by all accounts, was a really nice guy. And uh, it doesn't matter. Like, there's no selling this. You're just, you're, you're, just fucked. Like, why would you take this? Like, if if you're if you're Lovey Smith and you didn't want to be the head coach, they must have given him a lot of back. I mean, sure. they must have I mean, paid the sh- uh, a shit ton of money. And, and I, I just said, if they gave that much to Cully, I mean, good God, what's going to happen next?
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of how this, I mean, I, I don't know this factually. I'm not a reporter, but I think that he got talked into this because they needed a compromise candidate. Everything had happened. And I'm sure that they had to really sweeten the pot as far as the money. And I think that's why he ultimately took this job. <sighs> Well, that's done. where we are ass. Uh He is Mike Meltzer. You can catch him on Matt <laughs> radio, and I'm
0: sure we'll be doing this again pretty soon. Good grief. Thank quoting, you, Paul. I'm quoting Charlie
1: Brown. I'll see you later. Sounds good.
0: Again, a big thanks to Mike Meltzer and to everybody who tuned into this Tuesday edition of the Says podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud. You can also subscribe on YouTube. You can like this video on YouTube. You can watch my face in all its glory on YouTube. Rate, review, tell a friend, all that jazz. I really appreciate your support. I'm very excited about something that's going to take place a little bit later this week. Fill you in on the details of that when I can. Until then, so long, farewell, and you will hear me in another episode of the Says Podcast on Friday.